Galatians chapter 6, starting from verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks for reading scripture for us, Shireen. Well, very good morning, brothers and sisters. Let me pray for us as we prepare our hearts to hear from God. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we give you thanks indeed for your word. And Father, we pray that as we come to the end of Paul's letter to the Galatians, we pray that these truths of how you save us through faith alone, in Christ alone, Father, we pray that these, these precious truths would be so pressed upon our hearts that we may live for you, that we may love you, that we may respond to you with uh, great praise and joy. So, Father, we pray that you move us by your Spirit to love you and to rejoice in our Lord Jesus Christ. We boast in his name. We ask this through Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, beloved, last month we celebrated the 505th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, and that, uh, is, that was a watershed in church history. Uh, that helped to recover the biblical gospel, and that's why today we confess the truth that we are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, and by God's grace alone. Uh, what some of us may not realize is that there was another revolution that was happening around the time of the Reformation, uh, maybe a, a less uh, noisy one, but no less important. Uh, next year marks the 550th anniversary of the birth of Nicholas Copernicus. Uh, Copernicus was born in eastern Poland, and Copernicus was a scholar in astronomy, law, mathematics, medicine, and theology. Wow. <laughs> he worked in a cathedral, and he studied astronomy in his spare time. <laughs> and it was his hobby that would revolutionize how we think about our universe. You know, before Copernicus, you know, scientists had accepted the view that the Earth was the center of the universe and that the sun revolved around the Earth. You know, a year before he died, he pub Copernicus published this book, and in that book, he proposed a completely different way of understanding the cosmos. And the theory that he put forward was that the sun was the center of the universe, and all the planets, including the Earth, revolved around the sun. You know, Copernicus's theory was eventually proved right, and you can imagine how revolutionary this theory was for science, and indeed for all human understanding of the universe. You know, this was the original paradigm shift in the scientific world, and, and this paradigm shift has since been known as the Copernican Revolution. Well, as, as we come to the end of Paul's letter to the Galatians. You know, Galatians effected uh, some sort of Copernican revolution 
in the way people thought about the faith. You know, this letter was key in helping the many reformers think about the gospel. Indeed, this letter was instrumental in helping reformer Martin Luther think clearly about what the gospel truly is. This letter was written to warn Christians against the false gospel of Jewish teachers. And Paul has made clear, as we've seen over the past number of months, that the only way sinners like us can be made right with God is through faith alone, in Christ alone. You know, Paul says in 2 verse 16, by works of the law, no one will be justified. It is impossible to earn our salvation by obeying God's law. What is the Copernican revolution that the letter to Galatians brings about? It really is, is this choice between a man-centered gospel or a Christ-centered gospel, a man-centered understanding of life, of salvation versus a cross a gospel-centered, a Christ-centered understanding of all things, of life and salvation. And, and those are the two choices that are put before us, especially in these closing verses of Galatians. Are we man-centered or are we cross-centered? Is salvation from man or is salvation purely from God? But today, as we close our sermon series, I pray that God will press the truths of the gospel into our hearts, that we not forsake the freedom that we have in Christ, that we not return to the slavery of trusting in our works. You know, beloved, how has the gospel caused a Copernican revolution in us? As the sun is the center of the universe, so is the Son, Jesus Christ, the center of our lives. Now, typically, Paul would dictate his letters to someone who would then write down his words. But in, the, in our passage, Paul writes these closing verses of Galatians himself. Verse 11, he says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Well, the large letters show Paul's urgency. You know, in these closing verses, Paul's not done yet. You know, he's, he wants to press these truths home. You know, just as we write in capital letters to make a point, so Paul emphasizes that it is absolutely critical that the Galatians believe the true gospel and reject false teaching. And he writes these words with his own hands to authenticate what he has said in the earlier parts of the letter. His handwriting is, is his signature that indicates that this letter is genuine. It is his stamp of authority as an apostle appointed by Jesus himself. And Paul summarizes his letter by presenting us with these two very different ways to live, to, pre to believe a false gospel of faith plus works is to live a man-centered life. It is to boast in ourselves, thinking our works can make us good enough for God. And that way leads to judgment and death. But to have faith alone, in Christ alone, is to live a cross-centered life. It is to believe Jesus is enough, and He is the center of our lives. And we boast only in the cross of Christ, and this way leads to blessing and life. So that really is the big idea of our passage. Boast not in ourselves, 
boast only in Christ. That's how Paul closes his letter to the Galatians. Boast not in ourselves, boast only in Christ. And those are the two big points of our sermon this morning. So number one, boast not in ourselves. The man-centered life is empty. Verses 12 and 13. You know, Paul wrote Galatians to protect the truth of the gospel from false teaching. Jewish teachers were telling Gentile Christians that they needed to be circumcised and to observe the Old Testament law to be saved. Otherwise, these Gentiles could not be a part of God's people. But Paul has made it clear again and again that this distorted gospel is false and there is no other gospel. Getting the gospel right is vital. It's a matter of life and death, eternal life and death. Now, we have all sinned against God who made us to know Him and to worship Him, but because we have forsaken our Creator, we deserve His righteous judgment against us. Every single one of us is, has fallen short of the glory of God. And God's law promises blessing if we obey, but none of us can give God the obedience that He rightfully requires. And as a result, we all face the curse of the law, God's judgment and His wrath against sin. And Paul has made it clear again and again that the law, the law has no power to save and the law shows us the standard, but the law gives us no power to obey that standard. The law is like an examination, right? Uh, the law sets the exam, the law sets the standards for the exam, but the law doesn't help us study. <laughs> you know, the law just shows how much we know or how little we know. Right? And, and so the law shows how far short we fall of God's righteous standards. And what's worse, our rebellious, Sinful nature is even provoked to sin when the law tells us no. But God graciously sent forth His Son in the fullness of time to redeem those who were under the law. And Paul said to us the good news of the gospel. Right? Jesus obeyed God for us. He was born under the law and He even became a curse for us that we might be blessed by trusting in Christ alone, we are justified or declared right with God. And in Christ, Paul says in chapter 4, we are adopted. You know, wonderful news that we are made children of God. You know, we're not just made right with God, but He receives us graciously into His family. He gives us a new status as His children. And Jesus unites us as God's people. He gives us His Spirit so that regardless of our sex, race, culture, nationality, or background, we are one in Christ. We live, we love, we serve one another, and we bear the good fruit of Christ-like character. You know, that, that's the gospel that Paul has presented to us in Galatians. Not of works, but entirely by the grace of God. However, the false teachers said Jesus wasn't enough. And they looked at the gospel and said, oh, that's all that is good, but it's not enough. So what did they do? They added circumcision and the works of the law to the gospel, saying, yes, believe in Jesus, but also be circumcised. Also keep the law if you want to be saved. 
Now, why were these false teachers promoting a, a false gospel of faith plus works? I think what's happening in verses 12 to 13 is interesting because Paul, with insight given to him by the Holy Spirit, he, he pulls back the curtain of the hearts of these false teachers and he exposes their motivations. You know, this is why these false teachers are teaching a false gospel. Here's why in verses 12 and 13. He helps us to see how man-centered motives are driving what these false teachers are doing. And these man-centered motives will also lead us to trust in our works rather than in Christ alone. And the false teachers weren't concerned about the Galatians. They wanted to make a name for themselves. Verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh would force you to be circumcised. Verse 13, they desire to have you circumcised. Why? That they may boast in your flesh. The false teachers wanted the Galatians to be circumcised so that they could brag about their ministry among the Gentiles. You know, the, the, the thinking was that the more circumcised followers they had, the more successful they would appear to the Jews back in Jerusalem. Right? It would look good on their resume. Right? They can say, hey, so many people circumcised. Great. You know, why do we serve God? You know, why do we follow God? Why do we trust in Jesus? You know, may, may God help us to serve Him for the good of His gospel and His people and not to make a name for ourselves. You know, friend, I hope, I hope we see that the fa a false gospel exalts our abilities and accomplishments. Oh, this is why, this is precisely why a counterfeit gospel of faith plus works is so attractive. And we mustn't read Galatians and think this will never happen to us, that we will always understand and hold to a gospel of faith alone. I, I think this letter warns us that the, gospel, the false gospel of faith plus works, it, it resonates with us in some way. We, we find that attractive because the false gospel allows us to boast in ourselves. If we can save ourselves and others by our works, then we have reason to boast. We have reason to be proud. We have reason to feel good about ourselves. We have reason even to look down on someone else who doesn't match our standards. We have reason to be harsh with one another. We have reason to be judgmental towards one another. We have reason not to love one another if we believe a gospel of faith plus works. We like to be able to take credit for our lives. I think this is true for many of us. We like to be able to take credit for our lives. We like the idea of being self-made people. Do not have to depend on anyone, not even God perhaps, for our successes, for our accomplishments. We like to take credit for our salvation and perhaps even to put God in our debt. Right? Sometimes we say things like, hey God, if I do this, then maybe you should do this for me. Right? You understand the reasoning behind that. Right? It, it's, it's works righteousness. That God, if, if, I, if I live in this way, then maybe you owe me if I do this for you, maybe you're obligated to do this for me. Right? We, we, we believe, you know, I, I think we, we struggle with that workspace righteousness. 
Because the false gospel of faith plus works panders to our self-righteous pride. Because we imagine that we can be good enough for God through our own efforts. A man-centered gospel gives man, not God, the glory. And I want us to see as we come to the close of Galatians that this letter is written for us. This is not a historical case study where we look back on these poor benighted Jews and say, oh, they, they didn't know better. But no, there, there's a proud legalist lurking in every single one of us. We all like to look good. We all like to appear successful. We all come on Sunday, dress a certain way. We all like to appear well put together. We all like others to think highly of us. And on the flip side, we are uncomfortable showing our weaknesses. We are uncomfortable saying that I need help. We are uncomfortable showing our vulnerabilities. You know, I had a conversation with my wife recently and, and she pointed out lovingly to me how I'm reluctant to ask for directions every time we get lost. You know, I'm sure this has to do with my being of the male gender. <laughs> I'm sure this has to do with my pride, actually. You know, I, I realize I don't ask for help because I don't want to have to depend on someone else. I'd rather check Google Maps. I'd rather just figure out where I am and try to find my own way than to ask for help. You know, God made us for His pleasure. But instead of seeking His glory, we crave for our own glory. And we are all glory thieves. You know, just, just think about this. How might we be longing for others to affirm and approve of us? You know, how do we struggle with the fear of man? And the fear of man is simply this desire for affirmation and approval from others. So here, here are some questions to help us reflect on whether we struggle with the fear of man. Just a small sample. I mean, I'm sure there are many more questions that we can ask ourselves. You know, will, will I still be content to trust and serve God even if no one else notices or appreciates me? Am I transparent with my weaknesses and failures so that God gets all the glory? Or do I try to hide my needs? Do I try to hide my weaknesses? Do I try to hide my vulnerabilities? You know, do, I, do I come to church thinking that this is like a job interview? Better show my strong points, not show my weaknesses. Do I continue to have joy in Christ when others reject me, when others criticize me, when I don't get my way? Or am I easily offended? Do I get defensive really quickly? Do I get discouraged really easily when others criticize me? Now, these are just some questions for us to think about. How might we struggle with the desire for affirmation and approval from others? Friends, Galatians was written for us. The false teachers yearned for praise and they feared disapproval. In other words, the false teachers feared man rather than God. And they added, to the circum they added circumcision to the gospel. Why? Verse, verse 12 gives us, gives us another reason. In order that they may not be persecuted 
for the cross of Christ. In other words, the false teachers added circumcision. Why? Because they were cowards. They were cowards. They refused to live for Jesus because they were afraid. In, first, in, in chapter 5, verse 11, Paul mentions the offense of the cross. You know, the cross is offensive because the gospel of faith alone in Christ alone undercuts our proud self-righteousness. You know, if you come to someone and say you, ca- you are a sinner and you cannot do anything to save yourself, that, friends, is an offensive message because we all like to think that we can do at least something that we're all not that bad, you know, we're not as bad as the other person, surely we can contribute something. But the gospel says to us, no, nothing. Nothing at all. We do nothing, we simply receive Christ as a gift. Uh, the gospel removes our reason for boasting. You know, none of us likes to hear that we are guilty sinners who can do nothing to save ourselves. You know, John Stott, had this, you know, he, he has this really good quote where he says, All of us have inflated views of ourselves, especially in self-righteousness, until we have visited a place called Calvary. And it is there, at the foot of the cross, that we shrink to our true size. But the false teachers promoted circumcision to appease the Jews, who believed the law could save. The false teachers treasured their own reputation and ease more than the Gospels. What did they do? So they, they adjusted the Gospel to make it less offensive to the audience they were trying to please. You know, this is contextualization gone wrong. How might our desire for comfort and convenience cause us to be ashamed of the Gospel? You know, how might we be tempted to compromise to avoid the offence of the cross? For example, are we reluctant to believe in Jesus or are we reluctant to be baptised because we're worried about what others think of us? Or do we not tell others about Jesus because we don't want to step on their toes? Perhaps we only mention God's love, but we neglect to speak of His holiness, His righteousness and judgment. The false teacher's boasting was empty. Their man-centered religion was superficial. It was a superficial show because they did not even practice what they preached. Paul calls out their hypocrisy in verse 13. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. The false teachers cared about the forms of religion, of appearing good, but they had no substance. Oh, beloved, who or what are we boasting in? Are we boasting in Christ or are we boasting in ourselves? You know, are we truly trusting in Jesus and Him alone for our joy, for our life? Or are we somehow still relying on our works, thinking that we can commend ourselves to God? Or worse, are we merely keeping up appearances so that others think well of us, but our hearts are actually far from God? You know, I I can't look into your hearts this morning. You can't look into mine. But I pray that the Spirit would truly bring conviction 
that if we are merely keeping up the appearance of Christianity, then may God convict us. May God bring us to repentance. May He really show the, the depravity in our hearts so that we turn to Christ and trust in Him. Oh, you know, I, I can't look into your hearts, you can't look into mine, but God can. And I pray that He will open our hearts this morning. They will show us that our keeping up of appearances is an empty show. It cannot save. We may get man's approval, but we will not get God's. Oh, may God turn us back to Him this morning. Second point, boast only in Christ. The cross-centered life is blessed. In verses 14 to 18, Paul presents a contrasting way of life that's different from the man-centeredness of these false teachers. And he says in verse 14, but, you know, that, that contrast, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You know, Paul says proud, self-centered boasting is bad, but there is a good kind of boasting. There is a, a godly kind of boasting that points to Jesus, not ourselves, so that all glory goes to, the Lord, to our Lord and Saviour who loved us and gave Himself for us. And to boast in Jesus means to put Him first, to make Him the centre of our lives. It means to trust in Him, to rely on Him for all things, to treasure Him, and to rejoice in Him, right? to, to have joy in knowing Jesus. That's what it means to boast in Jesus. You know, Paul may have had Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24 in mind as he wrote these verses. God said through the prophet Jeremiah in that passage, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. You know, what, what Paul says here in verse 14 it is so countercultural. Right? You know, why on earth would Paul glory in the cross of all things? You know, maybe it's helpful for us to kind of enter that culture a bit and realize that in, in New Testament times, the cross was not a nice thing. The cross was a horrific tool of torture, of humiliation, of punishment, and an agonizing death, excruciating death. You know, it's like us today saying, hey, I boast in the gallows. I boast in the electric chair. I boast in the firing squad. I boast in beheadings. It, it, it just doesn't gel, does it? In New Testament times, crucifixion was so offensive that the word cross was a bad word. You know, the world boasts in great things, right? The world boasts in human accomplishments. The world boasts in what we can do. But the gospel turns worldly ways upside down. The cross may be detestable and scandalous to the world, but it is God's power and wisdom to save sinners like us. You know, the, the reason why we can boast in a cross is only if we die to ourselves. 
You know, if we still live for ourselves, we will not boast in the cross. So how do we die to ourselves? Not by our own works, for the law has no power to overcome our old sinful nature, our flesh. But when we believe in Christ, when we give ourselves to Him, when we trust in Him, we acknowledge that we are sinners and we trust in Him alone to save us, when we trust in Christ, we are united to Him in His death. Now, Paul has said this before in his letter, 2 verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In chapter 5, verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So boasting in the cross means living a crucified, cross-centered life. In Christ, our old sinful selves die with Him. And that's why Paul says the world is crucified to us and we are crucified to the world. Once, before Jesus saved us, we loved the world and its ways. We lived for what this world had to offer us, be it happiness, pleasure, success, and so on. Now, we wanted the world's acceptance and approval. We wanted to make a name for ourselves in the world. We, we wanted our life in this world. But Paul says something dramatic has happened in Christ. If we are in Christ, then the world is dead to us. That's what Paul means when he says, the world is crucified to me. The world is dead to us. And we are dead to the world. And we no longer live for ourselves or for the world. And we don't live to make a name for ourselves in this world. You know, some of us may be thinking, wow, that sounds pretty bad. <laughs> you know, but I want us to see that, that this isn't a loss. But, but this is tremendous gain because Jesus gives us bigger desires and He gives us bigger ambitions for God and the fame of His name in all of creation. Now, that's so much better to boast in Christ. So we glory in our Redeemer and live for Jesus. As the psalmist says in Psalm 73, there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This is what it means to boast in the cross. All we have is Christ. Dying to ourselves and the world means sharing in, Christ, in Jesus' suffering. So you look down in verse 17. Paul says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Now, Paul himself bore the physical wounds and scars of serving Jesus. You know, unlike the false teachers, Paul did not try to escape hardship by compromising the gospel. He didn't fear man. He didn't hold back when he needed to speak the truth. But he faithfully declared Christ, and therefore he suffered for it. And he says to the false teachers, you know, stop causing me trouble because you have no credibility because you refuse to suffer 
for, your, for the message. Paul, on the other hand, was willing to suffer for the truth. So, beloved, if we say the gospel is true, then are we really willing to bank our lives on it? Are we, are we willing to reorder our lives? Are we willing to live differently? Perhaps to even suffer for the sake of the gospel, to take risks for the sake of the gospel, because we believe the gospel is true. That, that's, that's the test, isn't it? You know, Paul says, the gospel is true and I'm willing to suffer for it. Are we willing to do the same? Are we willing to leave our comfort zones, doing difficult things for the gospel's sake? Will we sacrifice our comfort, our convenience to serve Christ and others? Or maybe there's a family member that you need to speak to about the gospel. Put aside your fears and to speak to them about Jesus. Maybe there's a co-worker that you can come alongside and, and share Christ with them and encourage them to know Jesus. Now, are we willing to put ourselves in a bit of a vulnerable position in order to speak of Jesus and to live for Jesus in the world? You know, what, what, what can cause this Copernican revolution in us to transform us from being man-centered to cross-centered? I think the reason is given, or the answer is given in verse 15. Paul says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. A new creation. You know, Paul says, if you want to live in this way, if you want to reject man-centeredness and, and truly live a cross-centered life, what do you need? You need to be made new. We must be made new. We need more than moral reform. We need more than religion. We need more than a renovation. We need to be demolished and rebuilt. Self-help, morality, and religiosity cannot change us. We need conversion. And only in Christ can we become a new creation. Conversion is God's work, not ours. And to be crucified with Christ means trusting in Jesus, trusting in God's transforming power through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And the Spirit is the one who makes us holy, turning us from sinners to saints. Now, the false teacher's fallacy was thinking externals could save. You know, externals like circumcision, externals like outward obedience to certain precepts of the law. That was their mistake. May we not make the same mistake of focusing only on externals, on our behavior, on what we look like. Rather, may we think about the condition of our hearts. Have our hearts, who we are on the inside, have our hearts genuinely been changed by the power of God through the gospel? Has the Spirit renewed and regenerated us? Are we converted? Are we converted? And what I mean is not just someone you know, making a decision many, many years ago and walking the aisle, but are we truly converted? Have we placed our faith in Christ alone, trusting in His Spirit alone to make us new? Have we asked God to convert us? That's the new creation that Paul speaks about, and that's the only way 
we can go from being man-centered to cross-centered. We need conversion. Look to the cross, friends. Look to the cross of Christ, especially when we're tempted towards man-centered self-boasting. The cross shows our helplessness and our sinfulness. You know, we deserve the cross. We deserve the cross. But Jesus died for us that we might be forgiven and brought back to God. The cross shows God's righteousness, His mercy, and His love. Boasting in ourselves and our works is empty. But we have the glorious promise in verse 16. Paul promises God's peace and mercy to all who trust in Jesus. He says, And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. You know, what, what is this rule? This rule is the truth that Paul has been speaking of. The truth that we are made a new creation in Christ alone. The truth that we are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. If we, if we keep in step, that's, that's the word that Paul uses, walk, keep in step, keep in step with the Spirit. How? By keeping in step with the truth of the gospel. That's what it means to keep in step with the Spirit. To walk in the truth of the gospel that we are saved by Christ. And if we walk according to this rule, if we live the rest of our days trusting in Jesus, we will have peace. We will have mercy from God. And we will be the people of God. We are the Israel of God. If we keep in step with this gospel, we are God's people in Christ and there's neither Jew nor Gentile. We are all Abraham's offspring because we share in the faith of Abraham. And therefore, we love and serve one another because Jesus has made us one. Beloved, we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. Don't trust in our own works to make us right with God. Not before, not now, not in the future. Don't trust in your own works. Hold fast to the true gospel and live free in Christ. Just as Copernicus revolutionized science when he discovered the sun is the center of the universe, so the gospel changes everything by exalting Jesus, the sun, to be the center of our universe. So let's boast in the cross together. Our time in Galatians has come to an end, but may we continue in the gospel. Paul began Galatians by highlighting God's gracious salvation in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to, de to deliver us from this present evil age. And Paul very fittingly closes his letter with a prayer for grace for us, that we continue in God's grace. Verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with our spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen.